Thank you for listening, and welcome to the Titans of History series. Supplemental episode, Marshals of the Empire, Andre Massena. Welcome back, everyone. I hope that you're all enjoying this lovely month of November as we inch closer and closer to the end of the year. I wanted to start off this episode by providing some sort of a timeline for the remainder of our series, where we're going from here, and also when we can expect to move on to our next great Titan of History. You know, to be honest, going into this podcast, I had always envisioned that each figure would likely take a few months to complete. But after reading as much as I have on Napoleon and studied his battles, tactics, and personality as much as I have, I knew that rushing through it just was not an option. After all, we're almost a year and a half into this podcast and we're just starting the War of the Fourth Coalition. This, coupled with my own professional and personal life, has made completing Napoleon in a timeline of a few months impossible, obviously, but I am hoping to have him done before our two-year anniversary in August of 2024. Now, that's going to give us about 35 weeks worth of content to go through, so it will be a sprint, but my goal will be to have this done, God willing, by then. And I also know that there have been some extended breaks in between episodes, and I do apologize for those, though my job has been extremely busy lately, and my wife and I are also expecting a, a young daughter in the next three months, so we've been working around having to deal with that major life change. And yes, for all those parents out there, that will indeed get in the way of the podcast temporarily, but like with anything in life, if it's important to you, you will find a way to get it done. And I do love doing this podcast, sharing this knowledge with all of you, and at least I hope, being able to provide some entertainment to my listeners every few days, or as it's been lately, weeks, to brighten up their lives. And as always, thank you all for your continued support. It truly does mean the world to me. And to see where this little project of mine has come to this point is truly heartwarming and humbling. And believe me, I'm beyond grateful. Which is a great segue because it is Thanksgiving this week in the United States. And my wife and I are hosting, so unfortunately, we're going to need to wait an additional week for the start of the War of the Fourth Coalition and the Battles of Vienna and Auerstedt. But fear not, because I have compiled a great supplemental episode for you all today on Marshal Andre Massena, our first installment in the Marshals of the Empire miniseries within a series. I've been talking about it for what seems like the last six months, so let's dive right in and talk about the man who might be my favorite marshal, but a man whose brilliant military career ended in tragedy. Now, we've mentioned Andre Massena numerous times throughout our series already, and even though we did a mini-introduction, today we're going to give a full episode to one of Napoleon's finest military commanders, and in my opinion, one of the true shining examples of what the French Revolution had intended their military leaders to be. Andre Massena was born on May 6, 1758 in Nice, so he is almost a full generation older than the man who he would later swear allegiance to. Now, At the time, Nice was a part of the kingdom of Sardinia, so like Napoleon, he was born in a foreign country, spoke Italian as his first language, 
and grew to become a formidable military commander who fought against the country of his birth. Now, Massena's father, Jules Massena, was a shoekeeper and a wine merchant, while his mother, Marguerite, was a housewife. Now, this meant that Massena was born into a middle-class family, financially stable, but not at all part of the local nobility. Massena's father would pass away when he was just six years old, and after his mother remarried, Massena left to live with his father's family, where he spent his formative years in going to local schools. Now, like many young boys in 18th century Europe, with few economic and career opportunities, Massena ran away from home at age 13 and joined a merchant ship where he became a cabin boy, sailing much of the Mediterranean and across the Atlantic Ocean to French Guiana at least twice. But tired of life at sea and wanting to be closer to home, Massena enlisted in the French army in 1775 at the age of 17, joining as part of the Royal Italian Regiment. Remember, prior to the French Revolution, Bourbon France and the Kingdom of Sardinia were allies. Now, enlisting as a private, Massena proved to be a capable soldier, and had he been born about 10 years later, he likely would have risen up the ranks far faster during the chaos of the French Revolution. But alas, he was not, and despite his clear talents, at the start of the revolution, Massena was only a warrant officer, one of the lowest commissioned officer ranks in most standard militaries. But having said that, Massena did achieve the highest rank possible for a man who was not of noble rank meaning that his talents were at least recognized by the Royal French Army. It's unfortunate, though, that they weren't able to promote him higher, because in the coming months, the Bourbons certainly could have used a military commander of Massena's ilk when the shit hit the fan. And as we know, boy oh boy, did it hit the fan. Now, during the initial years of the French Revolution, Massena escaped much of the bloodshed and chaos in Paris as he returned to Italy and drilled with his regiment, while also profiting from a side hustle as a professional smuggler between Sardinia and France, which was a common practice during the early revolutionary years when Paris was preoccupied with, well, other priorities. He also married during this time and had four children, one daughter, who died as a child, and three sons, the first of which, Jacques Prosper, inherited his title as Prince of Essling after the restoration of the Bourbons in 1814. But the military was always Messina's true passion, and the establishment of the revolutionary government meant that the military ranks were finally open to men of merit rather than of social status. And so, by 1792, Messina rose to the rank of colonel. And while this certainly was welcomed by Messina, he was actually one of the older commanding officers when compared to some of the other soldiers who rose meteorically at a much younger age, of course one Napoleon Bonaparte being one of them. But his age notwithstanding, once the French Revolutionary Wars broke out only months later, Massena would show that his promotion was not only warranted, but long overdue, and he would soon prove to be one of France's brightest and most capable military minds. Now, with the French Republic now under siege from all sides in the early days of the Revolutionary Wars, Massena was assigned to the newly established French Army of Italy. Now, despite his lack of formal education, military or otherwise, he was still elected as the commander of his battalion, leading the 2nd Battalion of the Volontaire de Voix, and he saw combat against the Austrians on the Piedmontese front. But what Massena lacked in education, he more than made up for instinctiveness. He acted quickly under pressure, and he proved to be a formidable yet steady field commander once the chaos of battle settled in. In keeping with the rapid promotions of its officers during the early days of the Revolutionary Wars, 
Massena was finally promoted to Brigadier General in August of 1793, and then General Division that December. His latter promotion was thanks to his successful attacks and assisting Napoleon at the Siege of Toulon that fall, something which helped bring Massena to Napoleon's attention, despite the fact that Massena likely looked at the young Bonaparte as nothing more than a dangerous firebrand. Nevertheless, for the next 20 years, the two men would be inextricably tied to each other, and Massena was an integral part in Napoleon's success on the continent, particularly in Italy. Now, likely owning to his Italian heritage and fluency in the language, Massena would continue to command his battalion in Italy, and he was an integral figure in France's success on the peninsula in the middle of the decade. After achieving a decisive victory over the Austrians at the Battle of Luano in 1795, many believed that Massena was poised to take over as the commander of the Army of Italy after the sacking of General Bartholomew Louis-Joseph Scherer, after Scherer refused to continue the pursuit of the Austrians, citing the poor terrain and weather. But Massena was not named the commanding officer, because, as we all know, Napoleon Bonaparte was. Eleven years younger, far less experienced, and little known outside of his victory at Toulon, Napoleon's promotion to the commanding officer of the Army of Italy infuriated Massena, who believed that he had proven he was up to the task and more than deserving of the role, if for no other reason than him knowing the terrain. Nevertheless, many of his qualms about Napoleon were quickly put to rest when Napoleon gave Massena great autonomy in commanding his men, and the two ultimately proved to be an excellent pairing in what was thought of as a forgotten theater of the war. Leading his guard in the battles of Montenet, Dego, Lonaro, Castiglione, Bassano, Caliero, Arcole, Rivoli, and finally Mantua, Massena proved vital in securing their victories. Now, we've discussed many of Massena's accomplishments during these battles in previous episodes, so I won't go into a major deep dive here, but Massena's men played decisive roles in achieving the victories at Rivoli and Mantua especially. At Rivoli, he marched his men 15 miles in the middle of the night to be at the battlefield in the morning hours, assisting in shoring up the sagging French left. After Rivoli, Massena's men then marched to intercept a large Austrian force moving to relieve Manoa, which forced their surrender. The fortress would fall two weeks later, and Massena won so many engagements that Napoleon gave him the nickname as Le Fond Gâté de la Victoire, the darling child of victory. He was so indispensable to the campaign. When word got back to Paris, the directory's president, Rubel, wrote to Massena, quote, The executive directory congratulates you, Citizen General, for the new successes that you have obtained against the enemies of the Republic. The brave division that you commanded has covered itself with glory in the three consecutive days that forced Mantua to capitulate, and the Directory is obliged to regard you among the most capable and useful generals of the Republic. However, this notwithstanding, Massena was notorious for extorting the local population for money and supplies, though he would pocket much of it for himself and his other commanding officers. And this was despite Napoleon's strict orders to not rob the local population. But Massena, and honestly like many of Napoleon's marshals after him, ignored the order. But pillaging the villages was one thing. Doing so while many of his own troops starved as well, well, that was quite another. And Massena did earn himself a few enemies amongst the lower ranks for this, especially in the bitter cold months of the campaign in northern Italy. But Massena's invaluable contributions in Italy were enough to finally warrant him an independent command. And in 1798, he was given the important position as commander of the Army of Switzerland. 
in the spring of 1799, with the French having again been pushed back in the Rhine and in Italy, Massena's position in Switzerland was of immense strategic importance. If the country fell, the enemy armies could steamroll right through Switzerland and right to France's borders. As a result, Massena was directly responsible for the defense of the French mainland, but he was now on the verge of being completely encircled on both sides by a combined Russo-Austrian force. But if we remember back to episode 22 through the St. Bernard's Pass, Massena did not want to wait for his army to be encircled before he made a move, and so that's exactly what he did. After being defeated in the First Battle of Zurich by Archduke Charles and the Austrians in June of 1799, Massena decided to take the remainder of his troops and hole up in the mountains. Once he learned of the approaching Russian force to wipe them out, he decided to go on the offensive and won a brilliant counterattack at the Second Battle of Zurich, retaking the city from the Austrians and leading to the eventual withdrawal of the Russians from the Second Coalition, knocking out one of her most important military stockpiles in terms of both ammunition and manpower. For his service, Massena was finally awarded the command he had coveted so dearly only five years earlier, the commander of the Army of Italy. And again, if we go back to episode 24, the Battle of Marengo, we'll know here that Massena would be under intense siege at Genoa from the invading Austrian forces. But his relentless resistance would buy enough time for Napoleon's arrival and eventual defeat of the Austrians at Marengo. Massena's tenacity and fearsome resistance in the face of overwhelming odds awarded him additional praise in the French government, and he began to draw comparisons even to Napoleon himself for his bravery and uncompromising will even when faced with starvation, plague, and near-complete annihilation. And even the Austrians, who were themselves utterly astonished at how difficult it was to get the man to capitulate, extended their respects for his leadership. However, as I'm sure we all remember, Mycenae's capitulation was not well received by Napoleon, believing that he could have waited a bit longer. And as a result, in addition to accusations of corruption, Mycenae was sacked of his position and recalled to Paris in semi-disgrace domestically. Seeing the writing on the wall, he decided to go into quasi-retirement and become a statesman. But the fates would have other plans for him. Because after Napoleon became emperor in 1804, Massena was called out of retirement and Napoleon made amends with him. One of the generals that had proven himself in front of Napoleon in battle, Bonaparte knew that holding an old grudge against one of France's finest military commanders would not be in the best interests of France, especially as the coalition powers were beginning to beat the war drums again. As a result, Massena was made one of the original marshals of the empire. But despite the high honor, he was actually underwhelmed famously remarking Napoleon upon being congratulated, quote, there are 14 of us. Nevertheless, Napoleon would then send him to Italy, and it was here where he led his spirited campaign against Archduke Charles and finished off the Third Coalition, while Napoleon won his famous victories at Ulm and Austerlitz. He was then given command of the troops in the Kingdom of Naples while Joseph Bonaparte was made king, and it was here where he ordered the brutal reprisals against any local resistance by the peasants out in the rural countryside. But after Italy, Massena missed many of Napoleon's great victories during the War of the Fourth Coalition, including at Jena-Auerstedt, which we'll be going over next episode, Eilau, and the decisive victory at Friedland. Instead, he was put in charge of the Fifth Corps in Poland on the right Prussian flank, 
but that would not prevent him from seeing some combat action, albeit under accidental circumstances. Because while hunting with Napoleon at the Emperor's Palace at Fontainebleau in 1808, he was accidentally shot and would suffer permanent damage in one eye as a result. Marshal Berthier was the man who claimed responsibility for the accident, but most historians lay the actual blame on Napoleon himself, who was, ironically, a notoriously poor shot. Regardless of who was at fault, Mycena would not recover for nearly a year, and he would only return to active service in 1809 when the War of the Fifth Coalition began. But his return would prove some of the finest work of his career. Now, the War of the Fifth Coalition was the second shortest of the Napoleonic Wars. Only the Seventh Coalition, better known as the Hundred Days Campaign, was shorter, though it did feature some of the most famous battles of the Napoleonic Wars, and was the first time that a seed of doubt was planted into the aura of French invincibility with their defeat at Aspern Essling. Massena, though, would prove to be as invincible as ever. After winning two quick battles at Ekmol and Ebersberg in late April and early May of 1809, his Fourth Corps formed the vanguard for the dangerous crossing of the Danube at the battles of Aspern Essling. Massena's men fought ferociously for over two days to hold on to the village of Aspern, despite an overwhelming Austrian force led by Archduke Charles. Under heavy siege, he was all over the battlefield, and when it became apparent that victory was impossible, he ensured an orderly retreat by his men across the Danube to fight another day. And even though the battle was a defeat, as well as a glimmer of hope for the coalition forces, Massena had been superb and his 4th Corps was singled out for their valiant fighting in the face of impossible odds. Six weeks later, the French would get their chance to recross the Danube and end the war, and Massena would be right in the middle of it all. Napoleon began his plans to recross the Danube, and Massena lent invaluable advice on the strategy. And on July 5th, 1809, the Battle of Wagram began. Massena was injured just a few days before the battle, having fallen from his horse, and he had to command his corps from a carriage, making him a prime target for Austrian cannon fire. Nevertheless, he performed admirably, and he ordered a skilled and complicated redeployment of his troops to help reinforce the French left at the height of the fighting, with assistance from Bessere's cavalry. This reinforcement allowed the French to continue on with their assault, and, while costly, Avogrim was a decisive French victory, and ended the War of the Fifth Coalition. For his efforts, Massena was given the title of Prince of Essling. But unfortunately for Massena, Wagram would be the peak of his career. After the battle, he was given command of the French army, headed for Portugal. Massena, for his part, was reluctant to go to Portugal at all. First off, he hardly saw the appointment as a reward, rather believing it to be an insult, but with the British now landing in Lisbon, Napoleon needed to shore up the Iberian Peninsula, or else France's western border would be severely threatened, and he sent one of his finest commanders to repel the invasion. But Massena was plagued by health issues and exhaustion, and rather than take the command with pride, he complained bitterly to his general staff. One of those generals, Brigadier General Foy, remarked, quote, He's only 52, but he looks more than 60. He's lost weight and has begun to stoop. His glance, since the accident in which he lost an eye, has lost its keenness. 
Many of his subordinates were also less than pleased with the marshal, who imposed difficult training and regimen, while also bringing along his mistress, who was disguised as an officer of the dragoons, while many of them slept in makeshift tents and had limited rations. His performance on the battlefield in the upcoming campaign won him few additional supporters, and the French invasion of Portugal, along with Messina's leadership, proved disastrous. While Massena won two early sieges at Ciudad Rodrigo and Almeida, he was decisively defeated at the Battle of Busaco, and on September 27, 1810, by a combined Portuguese-British army, commanded by none other than Arthur Wellesley, Duke of Wellington. Now, like Horatio Nelson, Wellington will get his own episode, so I don't want to go into an introduction here, but let's just say that it was in Portugal where Napoleon began to take notice of the man who would ultimately be responsible for his downfall. After Busaco, Massena followed Wellington back to Lisbon, but Wellington had anticipated this and had carefully planned a scorched earth policy, depriving the French of any tangible supplies and food. When the starving troops finally reached Lisbon, they were met by the impregnable fortifications of the Lins of Torres Vedras. This, combined with a hostile population that routinely raided the French camps and employed brutal guerrilla tactics, proved too much for the French to withstand and Massena retreated back across the border into Spain after five months of a brutal campaign in which he lost nearly a third of his men. After suffering one final defeat at the Battle of Fuentes del Oroño at the Portugal-Spain border, Massena's fate was all but sealed as a Marshal of France and military commander. His leadership was heavily criticized, with Marshal Ney, who assisted Massena in the invasion, stating that his conduct, both personally and professionally, was deplorable. When he finally returned to Spain, Napoleon personally sacked him, replacing him with Marshal Marmont. And in what was a fitting end to a disastrous performance in Portugal, Napoleon remarked to Massena, quote, So, Prince of Essling, you are no longer Massena. Upon his return to France, he was made a local commander at Marseille, and with his health quickly deteriorating, he would never again serve in a major command. After the restoration of King Louis XVIII following Napoleon's first abdication, Massena was given his titles and command back, at least in theory, but they were quickly repealed when his commoner background was revealed. He was once again named as head of the National Guard in Paris by the provisional government following Napoleon's second abdication, but after that he was again sacked by the Bourbons. Unwilling to prove his royalist loyalties and refusing to court-martial his former colleagues, he went into retirement while his health failed more and more by the day. He died on April 4th, 1817, a month short of his 59th birthday. Massena's legacy immediately following his death was complex, though amongst Bonapartists, he was viewed as a major reason for the failures of the French in the Peninsular War, which was in itself a major factor in France's overall defeat in the Napoleonic Wars. Nevertheless, with the passage of time, Massena has come to be recognized as one of Napoleon's finest marshals and military commanders, up there with Marshals Davout, Ney, and Long. It can be said, however, that much of Massena's brilliance was behind him when he ultimately became a marshal, his true genius being displayed in the Italian campaigns prior to Napoleon's ascension to emperor. Even so, he was a formidable commander who instilled fear amongst his adversaries and commanded respect from even the most hardened of coalition generals. It was perhaps the Duke of Wellington who said it best, quote, When Massena was opposed to me in the field, I never slept comfortably.
We'll obviously come back to Messina numerous times throughout the series, but I did want to paint a picture of one of Napoleon's most skilled commanders and give him the time and respect he deserves. We will also return to our regularly scheduled episodes next week, and yes, I do mean next week, as our episode on Jena Auerstedt is nearing her conclusion. And so with that, I wish you all a wonderful weekend. I hope everyone also gets a chance to see Ridley Scott's Napoleon, which hits theaters on American Thanksgiving, November 23rd. I'll be seeing it this weekend, and I'll give my two cents on the film in our next episode towards the end of that episode. But as with any Hollywood film, I will approach it with a grain of salt. No one can do Napoleon's life justice in a mere three hours. As we all know, it's taken us over a year just to get to the War of the Fourth Coalition. But that aside, I can't wait to see it and to comment on it with you all. But until then, have a wonderful week, enjoy the holiday season, and I will talk to you all on the other side.